good morning, everybody. As we uh, have this rainy Sunday morning, uh, last day of July, and a good way to end the month of July. And so uh, we have August coming up, of course. And with August, uh, there's there's a couple things that come with it. Um, and so, like Stephen said, uh, I'm going to be continuing the series in the uh, questions that God asked in the Old Testament. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a question that God asked in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there. The question that God asked Elijah, actually. And while you're turning there, I'll just uh, share a little bit about, uh, well, you know, like I said, August is coming up. And so there's two things that I think of when I think of August. Uh, There's... One, well, not so much for me anymore, but as a kid, this, these are the things I think of. One was school, and for each students there, you know, school kind of starts around August, so, so that's one thing. And the other was football season. You know, football season usually gets started in August, so uh, in fact, when I was a kid, I remember my mom would say, you know, August is bittersweet. You know, she was a stay-at-home mom, and so she would you know, be home with us during the summer, and we'd, we'd play and hang out and, and have fun, and, and so when August came around, she knew that we were, you know, be, my sister and I would be going off to school, and uh, she wouldn't, you know, um, be seeing us as much as when we were at home all summer, uh, and I'm sure that there were times when, you know, when my sister was misbehaving that the school year couldn't come quick enough, but, but for the most part, she, she would, she enjoyed our, our time with with her over the summer, and um, but my mom's also a football fan, and so she she liked when that football season rolled around, and she was ready to start rooting for uh, her teams, and so so that was the bittersweet, you know, school starts, but football starts, and uh, you have both in August. Well, speaking of uh, school, uh, there's I have a friend who was a vice principal at a school, and you know he would kind of share about, you know, his experiences as a vice principal, and uh, as you can imagine, he had all kinds of, you know, different experiences with students and uh, at the school, and, and of course, um, whenever students got in trouble, they were sent to his office. And so I was talking to him about it, like, you know, well, what do you do then? I mean, do you have kind of a, a the same kind of uh, approach every time a, a student who got in trouble comes to your office? You kind of do the same way, or is it kind of just you wing it, you know, what, what do you do when, when you get a student in trouble in your office? He said, no, I, I pretty much do the same thing every time. And so I start listening, and I'm like, well, you know, I might get some parenting tips here. What do you do when a kid's in trouble? And, uh, you know, how do you, you lay it down and uh, teach them? And, and he said that I simply, you know, start by asking them the question, what are you doing here? And... Uh, you know, obviously he knows why they're there. If, you know, they were sent there. The teacher's going to let them know um, why they, they sent the student. You know, either he, he did something, he was talking, and he, when he wasn't supposed to be, he, you know, just um, whatever the reason was. He knows, but he would still ask them anyway, what are you doing here? And I thought, you know, that's a, a, a neat approach because when he asked that, it kind of opens the door for the other question, you know, why are you here? What brought you here? Are you supposed to be here? And so it kind of gets this, the student to start thinking, like, 
what what did I do that, that led to me being here? What what was the the cause of me being here? And so we're gonna look this morning where kind of like that question is a question that basically that God asked Elijah. He asked him, What are you doing here, Elijah? We'll we'll look at where Elijah was, why Elijah was there. But it's a question that Elijah has to face, and, and God himself asked Elijah that, and Elijah has to assess, why am I here? And so as we study this this morning, I want you to kind of think of that question as if that question is being asked to you, if God's asking you that question. Why am I here? You know, like Stephen said, we're here this morning to worship the Lord, but where, wherever you are in life, in this, this season in life, um, you can reflect and ask, why am I here? So let me... Uh, open us in prayer, and then we'll start looking at, at this passage here. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, I, I pray for our, our time in your word as we continue this series and looking at the questions that you ask, God, and, and this question in particular, why are you here? I pray that we will be able to draw from it, apply it to our lives, and lay on our hearts specifically what you have for us this morning. We love you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we jump into the passage, let me just kind of get us up to speed of what's been going on in Elijah's life um, and leading up to this point. So before this, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, so let's Start back in 1 Kings chapter 17. So 1 Kings chapter 17, God tells Elijah, so during that time, King Ahab was reigning. King Ahab was king, and he, and the Bible says that he was the most wicked king in, in the history of Israel. So, so King Ahab is, is uh, reigning over Israel, and God calls uh, Elijah and says, I'm sending you to go before King Ahab. You're going to go before the most wicked king in all the land and in all history of Israel, and I'm sending you to go for him. But not only that, but I'm going to have you deliver one of the most unpleasant messages that you can share with him. You're going to tell him, listen, you know, it's not going to rain for three years. And, you know, you, you guys depend on the rain, obviously. You know, you have your farms, you're in an agrarian society. And so you guys are pretty much going to have a drought for three years, no rain, no, none of, no precipitation whatsoever, and you're, you're pretty much all but doomed. So you got to go and tell Ahab that. So that's kind of how it all starts for Elijah. And, and he does. He goes and tells Ahab, and after he does that, then he, God kind of leads him to the wilderness, uh, he goes out to the wilderness because obviously he's a wanted man now. Ahab doesn't like the fact that he just uh, told him that news and also that he's, he's pretty much kind of putting a damper on the kingdom you know, with that. And sure enough, it does not rain. The, that's, the drought starts at that point. So Elijah's now in the, the wilderness, and of course it's not raining, so you know he's having to go to this brook you know, as long as... Water's there. That's where he goes to for water. But for food, uh, he, he has no food there. So God has to do something else. And yesterday, I took my son Jet to 
uh, the duck pond to go feed ducks and we, you know, you get the little uh, kibble and you, you throw them and the ducks eat them and while we were feeding them, I kind of realized you know, these ducks are not very courteous to one another, they're not very generous, uh, you know, they, they go for it, you know, if it's in front of them, they go for it, they don't share with others, um, they're, it, it's kind of, they're in it for themselves. So, you know, that kind of just made me think of what basically, what God tells Elijah is, listen, I'm going to have some ravens, um, which are scavenger birds, so they're, they too, even more so than ducks, are not known for their generosity, to say the least. I'm going to have ravens come twice a day, and they're going to come feed you. Okay? They're going to go completely against their nature and bring you food, and, and I'll provide for you in that way. So you've got, you've got a drought that you're dealing with. You've got to you know, get water from the brook, and you've got to count on these ravens coming twice a day and, and doing something contrary to what ravens do. And, and, of course, God does provide. God you know, has the ravens come. and So... So this is what Elijah's facing. Well, then, like I said, there's no rain. The, the brooks, you know, dries up. And, and then at that point, God says, now you're going to go over to enemy territory, and there's a widow there, um, her and her son, and you're going to go there, and, and I'll provide for you there. And so Elijah makes his way over there. He, he goes, finds the widow, and, and basically... She's literally on her last meal. She even tells him that. She's like, this is the last thing we have. We were going to eat it and die, and, and that was going to be the end of it. Well, Elijah is with her, and you know, God does a series of miracles there. And they, she has the, uh, the jar of flour and the jug of oil. And it's, you know, it's scanned, very you know, bottom of the, the barrel there, but it never runs out. Day after day, God provides. There's a provision there that they have what they need every day. Her, the widow, her, her son, Elijah, God provides each day. So time and time again, you see God you know, providing for Elijah. Well, then the widow's son dies, and that's when one of the biggest miracles of all, where Elijah, you, God has Elijah raise the widow's son up and showing you know, his power, God's power is on display all throughout uh, this chapter in chapter 17. Well, then you get to chapter 18, and that's where it, you know, Elijah steps on one of the biggest stages that he has. In chapter 18, that's the one that, uh, the well-known story of Elijah um, having a standoff with the false prophets of Baal. 450 false prophets there and Elijah himself. And they're, as you know, they're, they're going to call on, on their God to, to bring fire down and to, like, to burn up the, the offering, the, the bull and the sacrifice. They're, they're calling on, on their God to bring the fire down. Well, Elijah knows that if the fire doesn't fall, he's a dead man. He knows that. But you know what he also knows is that the same God who stopped the rain, the same God who sent the ravens, the same God who made the, the flour not run out and the oil not run out, is the same God that's going to send this fire down. And so, as you know, he, he drenches the, the bull, he drench, he's got water all around it, but God, 
God sends a fire down from heaven. It, it, it takes it all up. It consumes all of it. And, and God answers. God, once again, delivers and responds when Elijah needs it most. And that's, that's kind of what you see throughout Elijah's life, is that it gets to the, the bitter end for Elijah. You know, the brook ran out when, when uh, God had sent the... You know, sent Elijah to the new the uh, widow. It, he didn't wait for it. Say, you know, there's a trickle there. It was it was completely dry. You know, with uh, the son, the son was dead, and God had to bring him back to life. He was already dead. You know, the woman was on her last meal, and then God you know, provides. So God kind of is stretching Elijah's faith a lot in in the, these ways, and he's having him time and time again show you're going to come to the end of what seemed like the end of uh, the rope, and then I'm going to answer. I'm going to respond and provide. And, and so Elijah's in the school of prayer and it's the school of faith, and he's, he's, he's learning, he's growing. And part of why I want to bring us up to speed on this is because when we get to chapter 19, sometimes people, they don't know the order that things happen, and they don't realize that this happened, all, what we're going to look at today happened after all of what we just talked about. So, you know, God already has started the drought. God's already had ravens feed Elijah. God's already uh, provided for the widow, raised the widow's son up. Uh, God's already sent the fire down. Elijah's seen all those things. And yet, here we come to chapter 19, and this is where we start. So, in, uh, and we'll start in verse 1. So, now, uh, Ahab, I told you, was the most wicked king. Well, he had a wife named Jezebel, and she was also wicked. So, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the one of... as." Of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Okay, so Elijah just you know, took on 450 prophets of Baal, but the king's wife threatens him, and he, he runs for his life and, and flees and is afraid. I think that it's important to recognize that because Oftentimes, after the greatest successes is when the greatest uh, trials and testings come. You know, Jesus was baptized, and the, when he got baptized, you know, the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and, and, and you know, that's a glorious moment. And then you read right after that, he goes in the wilderness where he's, he's testing himself, you know, deals with the temptations and, and the devil uh, testing him for 40 days and 40 nights. You see that there's there's times when we we get to where we have successes, we have victories, but at the same time, you know, right after that, there's often the times where we have the the trials, the challenges, the discouragement, the despairs. And so Elijah flees for his life, and I as I you know, looked at that, I thought of well, you know, this isn't the first time a man of God has run for his life uh, from, be, from being uh, fearing 
for his life. You look at David, obviously, you know, the King Saul's coming after David. David runs for his life. Um, nor is Elijah the last man who runs for his life. Obviously, the, the disciples, when they, when, when they came to arrest Jesus, all of them scattered and went in different directions. One thing that's interesting, though, is you read through the story and you know, the passages where these, these guys are running for their life whenever they get threatened and, and they, they're afraid for their life. The, the one exception to this uh, in the Bible is Jesus. In fact, Jesus does the exact opposite. When they sought to make Jesus king and the fickle people wanted to, to crown him as king because they you know, were in all of the miracles that he was doing, that's when Jesus left. He didn't stick around for them to put a, a crown on his head. But when they came to arrest him, he went out to meet them. Jesus did the exact opposite of what every man and, you know, what we would do and ourselves and what any of these men in the Bible did. So Elijah runs for his life, and he goes in and hides. And then verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now notice that it says he himself went. So at this point, he's not really looking to the Lord and following where the Lord's leading. He goes himself. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So, now Elijah's at the lowest of the lows. He's saying, God, just take me. It's enough. I've had enough. I'm done. Just take me and let it all be over. Elijah's at, at, in the pit. He's in despair. And he's, he had nowhere else to turn. And he, he's, he's at the end of his, his rope, at the end of himself. Have you ever been there? you ever been in that, a place where you're like, that's it, God. I'm done. I'm, I've, I've had it. I've, you know, this road's gotten way too hard, way too tough. These waters have gotten way too deep, way too strong. I'm out. I'm done. Well, know that you're not the only one. You, you got Elijah, a great man of God, who, like I said, just faced off all these prophets and uh, had seen miracle after miracle. So, you know, you're not alone if you've been in, in, in that moment or if you are in that moment. So, so what happens there? God, Elijah says, I'm, I'm at the end. Just take me, take me home, God. Well, the next verse says, He lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There's nothing super extravagant here. Elijah goes, takes a nap under a tree, and angel nudges him, wakes him up, and says, Okay, go ahead and eat and drink. You, you need to get you know, some food in your, in your belly. It, you're weary. Uh, you've got things ahead. You, you just need to recharge and replenish yourself. So 
it's kind of like, you know, that's, you, we've already seen all the things that happen in Elijah's life. This is kind of one of the more mundane moments, aside from the fact that an angel comes in, to him. But that angel who Jesus said that when he was being, you know, arrested, like, I can call angels down and they would, you know, wipe out all those coming to arrest me. So obviously these angels can do, you know, what God sends them to do. And they, they're, they, God will empower them to do what he has them to do. And God simply says to the angel, you go tell Elijah to eat and drink. You get some rest, eat, drink, and, and just kind of have some time of, of refreshment. I think that's also important for us is that sometimes when we are in those moments where we're kind of at the end of ourselves, sometimes the, the most simple thing that we can do is also the most spiritual thing we can do. Rest, refresh, eat, drink, basic necessity, taking care of yourself, basically. Sometimes that's, that's a start. That, that's a starting point of taking care of yourself because a lot of times we don't take care of ourselves when we're at the end of ourselves. But the other significant thing here is that God is reminding Elijah of something. Because remember what we talked about, that Elijah's in the wilderness. He doesn't have food. God has to send ravens. So God has to meet his basic need of, of, of food and, and his provision. The water runs out. He needs water. God has to send him to a widow. She has only a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. God has to keep making it, it come back and again and again. So when the angel has some food and water there for him, it's going to trigger in Elijah's mind, the same God who has been providing all this time my simple basic needs and all my needs is the same God who's providing for me right now. And so God has a way of bringing the familiar into our lives to try to remind us of things. You see that in Peter's life. Remember, Peter denies Jesus three times and is in front of a coal fire. Well, just later on, when Jesus comes back and you know, after the, his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus re, reconfirms uh, Peter for, for ministry. He recommissions him, and it's in front of a coal fire. And three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? So Jesus has a way of using the same things that have happened in the past in our lives to remind us, I've been faithful, then I'll be faithful now. And that's, that's something that even the disciples had to learn with Jesus providing bread, and you know they were worried about bread the next day. God is reminding us again and again that he is faithful. He's faithful in the past, he's faithful in the present, he's faithful in the future. Same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Elijah, he eats, he drinks, he uh, rests, and then it says at the end of verse 8, he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, there was nothing super special about the food. It wasn't special food any more than the, the staff that Moses used was what part of the Red Sea. It was God's power behind it. God's the one that provides the power behind these mundane things. So he, he eats the food, and then he goes to, to Horeb, the Mount of God. He goes to the Mount of God. He goes to God's presence. So when he's at the end of himself, when he doesn't know where to turn, that's exactly where he does turn, God's presence. 
And that's something that the Bible is full of, that reminder of going to, running to God's presence. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Think about that. They run to it, meaning that if you're running, there's some urgency there. They, they run to the Lord and are safe. Psalm 61.2 says, From the end of the earth I call to you, when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Before, when I would read that psalm, I would think, well, you know, it's kind of like a hiking, you know, McAfee's Knob or one of those, uh, those little hikes where you kind of, you climb and, and eventually you get to the top and you're on that high rock and you're standing up, you're, you're standing tall and, and strong. And, but he doesn't say, lead me on the rock that's higher, than, that's higher than where I'm at now. He said, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. It's not that he's asking God to take me to where to a platform where I stand and I'm, you know, elevated. He's saying, take me to a rock that I can come under and have shelter, have refuge, have have some kind of provision of uh, covering. That's that's what what we need in those times. I remember when I was in my first year of college. Yeah, I had some, you know lost some loved ones, I had just a lot of just struggles and pressures, and I was overwhelmed, and I remember my RA, um, he, he, he kind of picked up on it, he said, let's, let's, let's go talk, and, and we go, and you know, our, our dorm was on the second floor, so we go to the, the stairs, uh, the hallway that kind of leads up the stairs to the second floor, and we just sit there on the stairs, and I'm thinking, you probably you're going to get in trouble or, you know, I did something. I didn't clean my room or whatever. And I'm thinking that, you know, what was he, what does he want to talk to me about? And he said, like, listen, listen, I, I know you've got things going on. And I just want to share one verse with you. And he shares uh, Exodus uh, 14, 14, which says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. He said, I don't know, know what all is, there is to it, but I wanted to share that verse and, and, that verse just spoke to me. It blessed me, and, and it, it reminds me a lot of you what we're we're looking at here. You know, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent, and that's uh, something that Elijah's learning right now. So in verse nine, it says, "There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Here's where the question comes, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah?'" He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so, you know, here's, here's Elijah, which is it's kind of ironic. He's running for his life, but then he's asking the Lord to take his life. So Elijah's, there's some confusion, there's some um, and a lot of times when you're at that place, you don't even, you don't even know what you want or what you need, and only God does. And whether it's um, some, some bread and water or rest, you know, God knows all of our needs, and he's able to meet all of our needs. Uh, as you know, Philippians says, he supplies all our needs and according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So Elijah gets to that place where he says, you know, I'm, I'm the only one. 
and I'm here, and it's just me. And God asked him, well, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, Elijah, the name Elijah, God called him by name, and Elijah means Yahweh is my God, or Jehovah is my God. So it means God is my God. So he's saying, what are you doing here? If God is your God, what are you doing here? Why, why are you here? And Elijah says, I'm the only one left. It's just me. I'm all alone. And that those often go together, the feeling of discouragement, despair, and the feeling of loneliness, and feeling like it's, I'm, you know, it's on my own here. So you may have been, been in that, in that kind of moment, where you felt, I'm all alone, it's just me. And like what Elijah said earlier, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm done. Well, God, God starts to, kind of like what Job experienced, when, when Elijah starts, you know, actually paying attention and listening to God, God starts, you know, showing him uh, what he's been missing all along. And so it says that he said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his faith in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, again, God asked him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah basically gives the same response. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah says, I'm, again, I'm all alone you know, and, and God shows this, one of the most miraculous sights that you can imagine. He has him stand in, in front of that, in the entrance of that cave, and it says that he, he tore the mountain, and that he broke in pieces the rocks. There's an earthquake that comes, there's fire that comes. So you can imagine Elijah, and, and that's why Elijah kind of covers his face, he's just in awe. So he sees all this playing out, and, and God's saying, you want to see my power on display? And, and then after all that, that's when then the Lord speaks in his soft, soft voice. But when I was looking at that, it reminded me of, of Psalm 46. And if you look at Psalm 46, it's very kind of describing what Elijah just witnessed. Psalm 46 says that, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So, so Elijah kind of is seeing all that. I mean, to tear a mountain like paper and to break the rocks like their stubble and to cause the earthquake and the and fire 
Elijah seen that all those things, that God is still the God of, he's our refuge and strength. Because when all this is going on, Elijah's in that cave that God told him to, to stay put in. So God's reminding Elijah that he is his shelter. God is Elijah's shelter. God is Elijah's refuge. And Elijah sees that, that God's responding and answering you know, his needs. So then Elijah, when in verse 15, says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And, and then it goes on to say, you know, you're going to anoint this king. And then he introduces you know, the fact that he's going to have Elisha take his place. So God says, you know, go over to, towards Damascus. And then we'll look at, uh, in verse 18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, all of a sudden, God says, uh, by the way, Elijah, there's 7,000 out there that are following me, seeking me, serving me, that you, you weren't even aware of, and you didn't even know about. So you think you're all alone, but really, there's, there's a whole lot more than, than you realize. And so, sometimes when we are feeling alone, when we feel like, it's just me, that may be a time to just kind of pay attention, like there's, there's more around us, there's more along in this with us than we realize. And not only that, but Hebrews 4.14 says, For we do not have a high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, not only are those, there are those around you, but Jesus identifies with any issue, any, any setback, any hardship that you face. You ever been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He can relate. You ever been abandoned? Jesus was abandoned by all his disciples the night of his arrest. He can relate. You ever been rejected? Jesus was rejected. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He can relate. Have you ever been mistreated? Jesus was mistreated when he was whipped, lashed, scourged. He can relate. Have you ever been humiliated? Jesus was humiliated when he was spat on, blindfolded, and beaten. He can relate. Have you ever been in anguish? Jesus was in anguish when he sweat like drops of blood in the garden, praying, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He can relate. You ever been heartbroken? Jesus was heartbroken when he wept over Jerusalem. He can relate. Have you ever cried out to God? Jesus cried out to God as he hung on the cross. He can relate. You name it, you fill in the blank, Jesus can relate. We have a high priest who can identify with us in our sufferings. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. This chapter, it ends with Elijah coming to face to faith with Elijah and being able to pass on that mantle and Elisha continues on that ministry. And then in five chapters later, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, 
Elijah is taken up to heaven in chariots of fire and a whirlwind, and in an amazing, uh, just in an amazing way. But had Elijah gotten what he had asked for back in 1 Kings 19, verse 4, Lord, just take me, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. One, he never would have seen Elisha take on his, his ministry. He never would have seen the rain come back, because the rain did come back once that time came. He never would have been one of only two people in the Bible, and really history for that matter, who didn't see death, Enoch being the other, but he was taken up in chariots and in the fire. So had Elijah gotten what he had asked for, none of those things would have come. So Elijah didn't know it at the time, but God was had a whole lot more in store for him than he realized. God had a lot more in his, his plan than Elijah even knew. So when we look at this question and we think of how that relates to us and when God asks us that question of why are you here, think here are just a couple takeaways. One of, one of them is, like I said earlier, we need to take care of our needs, take care of ourselves, you, your, your basic necessities, your food, your water, your rest, take care of yourself. God gave you a body for you to take care of. And we need to run to the Lord. Whether it's a, you know, in, in the psalm, they, it's all kinds of, of terms, but they all mean the same thing. You know, he's our, our fortress, our refuge, our rock, our, our tower, our um, shelter. They all mean the same thing. God is our refuge. God is the one that we, we take, our, we find our, uh, our comfort and our provision in. So, Take care of your needs and run to the Lord. And you know, they, they did a, a contest with artists and they had them, they told them, just paint a picture that embodies peace. Something that, that kind of portrays peace. So the artists all you know, start working on their paintings and uh, there was one of you know, a, a, a peaceful meadow, just a calm meadow in the trees and the you know, the leaves changing colors and very, very peaceful scene. And there was one of a sunset, a beautiful sunset, sun just descending uh, down over the mountains. And But the one that won the prize was a picture of a bird in his little nest, nestled in his nest right next to a waterfall. And the reason why, when they asked you the the, the ones, the judges, why one, it said, because this portrays the fact that there's peace in the midst of chaos. You know, water's falling, it's rushing, coming down, and the bird's just sitting there, content in his little nest. You know, he's got a little nest right to the side of it. And the judges, just like all of us, knew that in life, there isn't just peace and no, no turmoil, no chaos. That's going to continue to go on. That's why it says in Psalm 46, though the, the, heart and fall in, the, the mountains fall into the, the heart of the sea, though the, the, you know, all this is swept around, and, and God shows Elijah, all this is going to be happening. I'm going to be 
you know, it'll seem like, obviously it was literally there then, but sometimes it'll seem like the mountains are just falling around you. But if you're in that cave that God has you to be in, then you're content, just like that bird was content in that nest next to the waterfall. And the other takeaway is that when you feel like you're, you're all alone, it's just me, God, God may have for you to just pay more attention to those around you. Those who are in that, in waters, maybe more similar than you realize to your own. And then God also wants you to remember that Jesus, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Everything we go through, he's been through himself, and he can identify with us. And so when you see the, the, the way that this ends, you know, in, in Psalm 46, it will kind of, it, that's really a, a passage that really uh, resonates with the story of Elijah, and it almost seems like, one, you know, like I said, you know, he kind of saw the things that that, that psalm is describing. But the, the psalm in Psalm 46, his conclusion is the conclusion that Elijah had to come to. Though the the nations rage and the kingdoms totter and all those things and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea. It ends saying, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, fortress, shelter, refuge. You know, it's also just for, throw something interesting there. The verse right before it, it says, he burns the chariots with fire. What does Elijah go up to heaven with in a chariot of fire? So it's just another way that that kind of just resonates with Elijah's life. So again, and if we look at that question, what are you doing here? And God asks you that question in your heart then that's something that you can reflect on. And, and like Elijah say, you know, remember that you have a, a refuge in God. Remember to take care of your needs. Remember that there are those around you that are alongside you in this. And remember that Jesus is with us and can relate in, in all that we experience and go through. So I'll, I'll close in prayer here and just lift this up to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts as we read about Elijah. And as Elijah was reminded that the same God who walked in mighty ways, that who worked in mighty ways thus far is the same God who will continue to work in mighty ways in our lives as we, as we continue. May we be humble to remember that even after successes and victories, we can fall ourselves in discouragement, despair, depression. Remind us, Lord, to take care of ourselves, to, take, to get what we need, and to run to you. When we feel like we're alone, remind us that there are others there with us. May we also remember that you, Jesus, you sympathize with us in our weaknesses. When we feel at the end of ourselves, let us remember that, that greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done. 
in our lives. Like Elijah's name means, let us proclaim that God is my God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.